So today we introduce a new series, Grow Closer to God. Grow Closer to God. And of course that begs the question, how close are you to God right now? How's the relationship, how's the communion with the Lord? And we'll move in this direction pretty early in this series, but of course, Uh, your prayer life is going to be a pretty good indicator. Uh, The depth, the consistency, the direction of your prayer life is going to be a good indicator. But we're just going to begin today with, as I mentioned at the opening of this service, this searching question from God to the first sinner after the first sin. Ayaka, where, where are you? Where are you? You know, if, uh, if you were to call me up or I were to call you up, let's say you call me up and say, hey, I, I'm trying to get to Nashville, Tennessee. What turn do I need to take in five minutes? I'd, I'd ask some questions, wouldn't I? And the basic question would be, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where are you? you know, from whence do you come, you know, when you want to try to get to Nashville, we pretty much need to start off. Are you coming from the West, from the East, from uh, what, what road are you on right now? What situation, are you in a dead end? What, what happened to you? Do you need to make a U-turn? I don't know where you are. To get directions, we need to assess from the get-go where we are. Again, where are you physically this summer, mentally, spiritually. The Bible calls upon us to do some self-assessment. That runs all the way through the scripture. Calvin, John Calvin classically says, you know, the keys to all other knowledge are knowing God and knowing ourselves. Well, part of knowing ourselves is knowing where we are right now. Famously, that maxim that's attributed to Socrates, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. C.S. Lewis in God in the Dock says this, those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. You know anybody like that? And then he goes on and says this, it is, is healthier to think of one's own sins. It's the reverse of morbid, he says, that's a surprise. It is not even, in the long run, gloomy. A serious attempt to repent and really to know one's own sin is, in the long run, a lightning. In other words, turns on the lights and a believing process. Self-examination, spiritual self-examination. Of course, he said, there's bound to be a first dismay and often terror and later great pain. Yet that is much less in the long run than the anguish of a mass of unrepented and unexamined sins lurking in the background of our minds. It is the difference between, Lewis says, pain of the tooth about which you should go to the dentist and the simple straightforward pain you may experience when you go to the dentist and have the tooth addressed. 
It's, you're going to have pain one way or another. It's a lot better rather than to sit out and fester in your pain to get to the dentist and go through what may be short-term a painful process of becoming healed. Grow closer to God. A lot of us may be avoiding God. We may claim we're not, but the truth is, if you're not deeply living in a relationship with God, you, in effect, are avoiding God. So we need to begin with God's, as Spurgeon calls it, first question to the first sinner. Where are you? We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I've preached on and taught on Genesis 3. Uh, you can go back into our archives for other sermons and certainly Wednesday night teaching on Genesis 3. We're going to hit a few passages from Genesis 3. I'm going to guess, hope, pray that you pretty much know the story of Genesis 3 in the fall. Uh, and, and then we're going to move on to a couple verses from Jesus's discourse on the vine. So let us turn to God's word. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, picking up at verse 7. In other words, immediately following uh, the devastation of the fall. Hear now God's word. We're reading 7 through 13 and then on to the close of the chapter. Then the eyes of both, that's the man and the woman. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of Yahweh, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool, or literally ruach, the, the, the breeze, the wind of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence, literally the face of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where, where are you, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He, the Lord said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and, and I ate. And then to the close of this chapter, towards the close of this chapter, picking up at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, that is, in his sin, condemned. 
Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now to the New Testament, to John's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the eve of his dying for us. Jesus preparing to die for us calls us to remain in him. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, remains in the vine, neither can you unless you abide, remain, live in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, stays in me, remains in me, lives in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, much fruit. For apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So in one question, you can follow the notes here. This is kind of point number one here. In one question, God asked Adam, the man, the man from the dirt, who was formed from the dirt outside the garden, remember that, and then placed into the garden to keep it, uh, to uphold it. In one question, God asked the man, singular, Notice he asked the man, not the man and the woman, he asked the man many questions with one. <laughs> There's a whole lot of questions going on here with that one little I, where, where you. Uh, now notice that when we look at this opening segment here, and we can go to the slide with Genesis, the beginning of verse 8 from Genesis chapter 3. This seems to be God's appointed time. We don't know whether God always came at whatever time of day this is. We do know this, that specifically, and you can see this in the little footnote. I, I mentioned this when I was reading the passage. In the footnote with the ESV, at least, from the translators, this tells us it's not just cool of the day. Literally, it's ruach, meaning the wind of the day, the breeze of the day. And this seems to presumably come with God. So God doesn't need to look for a good time. God makes the good time, okay? So God, God is, is, is walking at the appointed time. And what this means is when the Lord is walking, we are supposed to walk with the Lord. So if the Lord is walking in the garden, who is supposed to be communing with him during that time? Well, it's obvious. Adam is. This is the way it's been set up. This is the way God has established Adam in the garden. But all of a sudden we have this great disruption because the Lord is walking, but somebody's not walking with him. And that's Adam. Uh, the Lord, all the way through the scripture, Jesus in the New Testament, and also the Lord in the Old Testament refers to one of the key ways of understanding the way we commune with God is to walk with him. And this has to do with a sanctified communion. So in other words, when the Lord is walking, the term there is halach. Um, 
that's the main term there, to walk, okay? So when the Lord is walking in the garden, remember the garden gets echoed in the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle is set up with all this garden imagery because the garden is where God intersects with the earth and with humanity, okay? So remember, that's why the tabernacle has all the garden imagery and the temple has all the garden imagery. We're supposed to all be catching this. So when the Lord is walking in the garden, that's like temple time, that's like worship time, okay? And, and the Lord later, when he reestablishes Israel, when he describes to them what their relationship should be with him, as he sets his tabernacle in the midst of the people of Israel, in Leviticus 26, uh, verse 12, I think I put this on the slide for you. I will walk among you, same term, halak. I will walk among you and be, yeah, there you have it, right? You also see that as you can see, I've got it noted for you in Deuteronomy 23, 2 Samuel 7. This is what God's gonna do with his chosen son who's gonna come, right? So this is the relationship that God has with us. But we got a problem because Adam's not walking with the God. God, Adam's over there hiding, you know? So we, we got a problem here, which brings us to the second, the next slide, the second part of verse eight here. What are the man and his wife doing? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and literally it's from the face of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to live under God's grace and under God's blessing? What does the ironic blessing say? Lord, make his face, to, you want the Lord's face to be on you. But all of a sudden we have the total opposite here. <laughs> they are hiding from the face of the Lord because they're afraid of judgment and therefore forfeiting blessing. That's, that's what you're getting here. How are you doing with God right now? You living, seeking God's face? Living under his face, everything you do? This is analysis for us today. Um, so the man and his wife hid themselves from the pana, from the, from the face of the Lord. But God in his grace seeks them out. The shepherd looks for the lost sheep. It's a good thing, right? Um, Genesis 3, 9. But the Lord God, yep, there it is, called to the man and said to him. The man is supposed to be, is not only the federal head as far as this kind of big theological terminology here, but he's, he's the spiritual leader. He's, he's the one that God has established first of all in the garden. He's accountable first. Now, now this goes in reverse order to what you get apart. We, we're not gonna cover today and we're not gonna read about the judgments, okay? And ultimately that will, to begin with the highlight curse on the serpent that also gives us the proto-evangelion, but the, the order is totally different. You got, you know, serpent, woman, man. Here we go, the Lord goes to the man first, then he's gonna go to the woman. And the Lord's not even calling to the snake, to the serpent, because this is a call not simply of discipline, it's also a call to repentance and reconciliation, if we'll hear it. And the Lord is calling to the man first, inviting him to confess and repent. What happens when we sin? 
Do we turn immediately to the Lord and start talking about our sin, or do we make excuses? Well, let's see what happens <laughs> with our predecessors here. There, um, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? For whose benefit is this question? Is God confused and ignorant? Does God need to do some investigation like a police detective? Andrew, you think that's what's going on here, that God needs to kind of investigate? No, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't even talk to the serpent. These are calls to repentance with people who are supposed to be in relationship with him. Um, let's think about where Adam is. Physically, he's hiding in the trees that God gave us for benefit. And I'm using now the trees for cover. That's kind of funny, isn't it? Um, where is he mentally? He in a good state mentally? No, he's freaking out. Um, and he's going to try to make excuses, which brings us to where he is spiritually. At the crucible, where are you and where were you? Now, this gets to the next point. You can see it. I've got it here, at least under the notes here. Let me highlight for you. This question could be just as easily translated. Um, this ayakah could be just as easily translated, where were you? And that is really the challenging question to the man. Because let's remember what's going on here. The man is the spiritual leader. The Lord God took the man, Genesis 2:15. If we can go to Genesis 2:15, we can all see it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. That's avad, the, the, the key verb there is avad, to work it. And that also means to serve it, to serve it. And shamar, to keep it or literally to guard it. This combination of verbs is used throughout the Old Testament for the, the responsibilities of the Levites with the tabernacle and the temple. They are supposed to serve the Lord and serve the Lord's people and serve the tabernacle or the temple and to guard it, keeping out the unclean and upholding the holy worship of God. And by the way, when you get over into Leviticus and the law, serpent is unclean. You don't let serpents into the holy place. A lot of times people say, well, why did God let the serpent crawl in and start, you know, tempting the man's wife? Why did the man whose responsibility is to serve the garden and to serve his wife in their worship and to keep the unclean out? The question that God is asking is on the man. Where were you? Where were you when the serpent crawled into the middle of the holy area? Where were you when the serpent started tempting your wife and defaming God in God's word? Where were you? That's what God is asking here. Most people miss that. That's, that's, that's what, where were you at the crucible?
Husbands, dads, where were you? Where are you? The Lord calls us to serve and to guard and uphold the holy places he gives us. So yeah, back to Genesis 2.15, that's, that's the man's responsibility. He's, he's like the priest in the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, back to 16 and 17, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The man could eat of every, I mean, abundant life. Yeah, abundant life. Even the tree of life the man could eat of. He's in a right relationship with God. And when the serpent starts defaming God and God's word, who's the one who's supposed to step in and say, well, actually, here's exactly what God said, and you better get out of here really fast. It's the man to whom God gave the guidelines of total grace. I mean, we're talking total grace. With the, the only, if you want to know evil, you go to that one tree and you'll know evil. Not going to be good. So now back to our story in three, um, Genesis 3, 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where? It's a location question, second masculine singular. Where are you? Where were you? And it's a call to repentance. You have to understand this. This is not the judgment. Judgment's going to come later. Penalty's going to come later. This is called a repentance. So what does the man do? Come clean? No. Verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, so I rejoiced and ran to you. Is that what he says? <laughs> no. The first time you get the, he, the fear verb in the, entire, in the entire Old Testament it's not the right kind of fear of the Lord. It's the wrong kind of fear of the Lord. They're running away from God. I was afraid. I was afraid. First time, first time the fear. And it's the wrong kind of fear of the Lord. Not the fear that brings you in filial, you know, love towards God and reverence towards God. It's running away from him. Because I was naked. So here's the one knowledge that the guy got out of eating this fruit. Guilt and shame exposed. I was naked. And I hid myself. Now, number two. God asked each of us the same questions. This is a spiritual checkup. We all need to go for physicals and checkups with our dentists and physicians periodically. Well, God calls us to a spiritual checkup and a call back to himself. Where do I tend to go during the week? What do I tend to do? What do I tend to think about? Don't tell me every week is, is different. It may be kind of in small ways, but the general track patterns pertain. What's my schedule? What am I doing spiritually, physically? Where am I taking my body? Where am I taking the bodies of my children? Where am I taking the souls of my children? What am I doing with them? Parents, you need to be asking this kind of stuff. It's, it's a checkup. Where? What about the Lord's Day? 
You know, when God shows up for the appointed time, I think it probably makes sense not to be away from him, but to be with him in a special way. And all through the week, the Lord appoints times. He wants us constantly reaching out to him. So let me ask you this for your personal assessment. Ask yourself this, have I grown closer to God this summer? And if there are ways I've grown closer to God, when was that and how was that? Ultimately, it's all gonna be by God's spirit, but I'm supposed to, on my part, be opening up to him. How did I do that well? How did I pretty much let the summer slide? What new scriptures have I really meditated on this summer? If you don't have any, if you don't have any new scriptures that you've like learned and started meditating through the last few weeks, Maybe we got some catching up to do. Am I bearing much fruit for God? What fruit have I borne this summer? People coming to the Lord? My witness to unbelievers or people who are struggling? My prayers for others? Think about that. There's probably some really good things. What I wanna encourage you to do is double down on the good and where you're not seeing fruit and a closeness with the Lord, reduce <laughs> those directionals, physically and spiritually, even your friendship networks. You know what, I tend to grow closer to the Lord when I'm with this guy instead of that guy. Uh, obvious advice, pastoral advice, spend more time with this guy and less time with that guy. So anyway, go ahead and, and do right now, you know, we're more than halfway through the year. What is my harvest inventory and projection for 2022 as we move towards the fall and harvest season? Where do I see fruit? Where do I need to catch up? What's my harvest projection for this year? So you've got the notes, take this home, do some inventory and some soul searching before the Lord. Number three, this is good news. This is incredible. God's sacrificial grace for Adam and Eve. And the Lord God makes for Adam and for his wife garments of skins. Now, we don't know how hard or deeply we're supposed to read between the lines here, but if you have skins, we can infer somehow, some way, shape, or form animals have been killed. But animals haven't been killed up until now in the garden. Yeah, but they are killed apparently. Something happens because we end up with skins and we end up with language about clothing that again goes back to God clothing people. And by the way, the Adam and Eve seem to be fixated on their loins. It's like God's like, no, 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 you're gonna have, clothing. You're gonna have decent clothing and good clothing, and it's gonna go down to your knees. That's kind of the way the language works here in the Hebrew, we can kind of presume that. So, uh, and God is doing this out of sacrificial grace, even though they have not repented. You understand this? They have not repented. He gave them chances, right? They have not repented, but he turns around and gives them the proto-evangelion, the fact that the seed of the woman is gonna crush the head of the serpent and Jesus is gonna come and prevail. I mean, you get all of that. And now God is even gonna take care of poor old sinful, you know, hiding, fearful Adam and Eve and cover them with clothing. 
out of sacrificial grace. They don't die. They don't shed blood. But apparently some animals did because of the people's sin. And uh, the issue is not that they're naked, but it's what's happened to their nakedness. Their naked, nakedness was glorious. That's the end of chapter two. Their nakedness was totally fine. But now all of a sudden you got nakedness that involves guilt and sin and stain. Um, my Old Testament professor, I just hit this and, and loved this, um, Walter Brueggemann, friend and Old Testament professor, here's the way he puts it. With the sentence given, God does for the people, in verse 21, what they cannot and could not do for themselves, verse 7. They cannot deal with their guilt and shame, but God can, and God does. That's what Walter says. That's beautiful. And then we think about Jesus' sacrificial grace for you and me. Because for us, ultimately, it's not animals that shed the blood. It's Jesus himself to clothe us in himself, in his righteousness. If that doesn't capture our hearts and souls forever, I don't know what will. And so, number four, Jesus' new covenant command. We are called, he calls us to grow close to him by remaining in him. Remain in him, living in him, abiding in him. Abide in me, and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The harvest is not going to be good this fall or all through your life or for your household unless you are closely living in Christ. Come close to him. Where are you now? Where should you be? Where by God's grace can you be? That's what we're going to talk about over the upcoming Sundays and what we're focused on today. Come to him. He has laid down his life to address what you cannot, your fears, your shame, your guilt, and he will bring you home to himself. Come to him and live in him, with him. Where are you? I pray that this day, I pray that right now, you would seek him and come close and know that grace now and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.